Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week is episode 291, and we're talking about busking while you travel. Indeed, and we've got a special treat for you today with some music from those self-same buskers. That's right, we're talking with Annie Chambers and Colin Cullinan from Ireland, who we met while we were in uh, Croatia. I think it was our first night or our second night in Zadar in Croatia, and they were travelling around busking to finance their travels, and it just sounded so interesting. It's really cool to talk about different ways of financing your travels, and this is something, well, we will never do, because I am musically inept and Craig plays the bagpipes, which are just a little bit difficult to transport. I think most people would qualify that as being musically inept as well. <laughs> so before we get into that, here's uh, this week's first clip from the Petaling Street Markets in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. That was the Petaling Street Night Markets in Kuala Lumpur, and that was about where we left you at our last podcast. And the last few weeks really have been a, a fog, haven't they? That's right. I mean, we haven't recorded a podcast for two weeks, and we have a very good reason for that. Last week on Monday, we were in Australia, staying at my sister's farm, and uh, the internet in New Zealand and Australia is, well, I could put it nicely. I will put it nicely. It is bad. That is putting it very nicely. (laughs) I could use all sorts of words to explain the internet situation here, but uh, since my sister and her husband, Matt, and two kids live on a farm, they don't have, um, they, they just use a, what is it, a 4G connection, so it's a... Yeah. It's quite limited. It's data limited, like all yeah. internet in New Zealand and Australia. 25 gigs a month for, yeah, costs and <laughs> three figures. Yeah, so it was fine for getting uh, email and checking Facebook, but wouldn't have worked for uploading a podcast, so we decided not to do one. So let's talk about what we've been up to for the last two weeks. Yeah, well, we flew into Kuala Lumpur and we were met by our friend's Dexter and Natalie out at the uh, the train station in the suburbs of the city where they live. And we spent the next, well, three nights, four days, I think it was, mm-hmm. with them. And that was really fun, just hanging around at home with them, uh, with a few forays into the city. That's right. They live, well, it's not too difficult to get into the city. We had, um, we had to get to the train station. Dexter very kindly dropped us off a couple of times. And uh, then it was about a half-hour trip into the city on the commuter train. It's so funny, the train station we usually get off at was Kuala Lumpur, which sounds really important, but it's just this quite minor commuter train station, nothing much there, with really long, long, long platforms. Well, it obviously used to be the main train station mm-hmm. because it's yeah, it's huge and it's got all these beautiful archways and things like that, but... Yeah, there's a, <laughs> it's like two or three trains an hour that yeah. go through there in each direction. It evokes a, an older time, a more elegant time. But actually the next station on the same line, KL Central, is a lot more frequented. While we were in Kuala Lumpur, we met up with some other bloggers, Tanya and Andrew from Magic Travel Blog. And that was really neat. They're on their way back homewards as well, same as us, after a long time. They were traveling around Asia for the last... Well, most of the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it was neat to meet them. And we're making somewhat of a tradition of meeting in Jelana Law, which is the street food street in uh, 
in reasonably central around Bukit Bintang. And yeah, a few years ago, the last time we passed through Kuala Lumpur, we met with Jared and Q from uh, GQ Trippin. Yeah, and this cool. time we met with the guys from Magic Travel Blog. So yeah. it's so who will it be next Kuala time? Kuala Lumpur, Chalana Law, meet some travel bloggers, eat yeah. satay, and chicken wings. The other tradition we've kind of developed is going to the central market and having a white coffee at Old Town White Coffee. Now, Craig doesn't drink white coffee, and this particular coffee is very sweet because it's made with beet sugar. But we always go there, and we always have it, and we always enjoy it. So that was that was quite fun. Yeah, and it's quite funny because it's just a it's a chain place in the middle of a shopping mall, mm-hmm. but it's it's where we go. Yeah. It's what we do. It's what we do. And the other thing we did, apart from quite a lot of shopping, was we finally tried durian, mm. which was interesting. Uh, Dexter and Natalie didn't want to let us go without trying it, and we, we were very glad to have tried it. Dexter said that you either love it or you hate it, and my response to that was, I think I hate it. <laughs> it's quite gross, although I can see how it would be an acquired taste. You know, it's it wasn't anywhere near as bad as I expected. From the smell, you'd expect to be gagging and choking, <laughs> but it isn't. it isn't that bad. It's just got a... An unpleasant flavour, and then the texture is weird. It's got a kind of membrane, and then inside there's a kind of custard textured and t- custard coloured, interestingly, uh, fruit, which is around a, like a large seed or pip. And yeah, not, not nice. No, not nice at all. From KL, it was an AirAsia X flight down to Melbourne, Australia, and AirAsia X is a budget carrier that operates throughout. Well, Asia Pacific, really. I think they get as far as the Middle East, um, but they in the last eighteen months have cut all of their European connections. Oh, it's terrible! Was terrible, because it was the cheapest way to get from this side of the world to that. When we flew from, well, we actually flew from Christchurch to London twenty months ago, and we flew with them, and it was five hundred and fifty New Zealand dollars to get all the way. So that was brilliant. But about three or four months after our flight, they they cancelled them. So they obviously weren't making any money, which was a real pity. Mm. Luckily, this time we could find the flights from KL to Melbourne, and then from Melbourne to to Christchurch. We just we travelled Virgin, I think. Yeah, that was, that was fine too. Virgin Australia. That yeah. was our first flight with Virgin Australia, and I was very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it was nice. It was good indeed. Um, so yeah, in Melbourne we stayed with Anna and Matt, Linda's sister and our brother-in-law, and their two kids. That's and, right. Anna's uh, just had a new baby about three and a half months ago, Leo, and he is awesome. Oh, I'm quite the proud aunt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's so happy and giggly. If he's upset, he'll he'll let you know. But you know, when he wakes up, he just kind of starts giggling to get your attention. <laughs> and then if you if he's in his bouncer or something, you're doing something, you're not paying enough attention, he'll start grizzling. You go over there and there'll just be this look of extreme joy, like ah, it's you, yay! And then Henry, who's three, is oh, he's awesome too. So polite. Mm-hmm. He'll he'll he says please and thank you all the time, which is obviously good parenting on my sister's part and her husband's. And then he'll just be happy to play with his trains for hours. So mm. very low-maintenance children. <laughs> very, very. Um, the last time we stayed with them was in Adelaide. I'm sure you'll remember us talking about that a few years ago. Now they're living just north of uh, of Melbourne at a place called Digger's Rest, which is near Sunbury. And cricket fans will, of course, know Sunbury for being the birthplace of the Ashes, uh, the, the famous cricket trophy for probably 75% of our listeners who are going, what's that? It's one of, one of the most <laughs> prestigious ashes, prestigious sporting trophies in the world. Yeah, it's a, it's a trophy, um, and inside are some ashes, and the ashes are the remains of some st- cricket stumps which were burnt. 
I'm sure you're going to get angry emails saying, no, it was the bales. It wasn't the stumps. It was the bales. Oh, I'm so sorry. And uh, yeah. So (laughs) anyway, we're up in that part of the world and it was lovely. They're setting up a B&B there called Tamana Farm. So the farm is called Tamana Farm. And we spent a lot of our time downstairs in the basement because they've just installed a a unit or a flat down there, two bedrooms. And uh, yeah, we helped them with some painting and some varnishing. And because we did that, they could put the carpet in. And then because we had the carpet and we could put the furniture in. So uh, Craig and I spent some time transporting furniture and setting it up. And then on the, was it our last night? Was the mm. Wednesday night? On the we- Wednesday night, Anna had been at work all day. And she was so excited to come home and see so much more done. She's like, oh, oh, let's have a sleepover. So we all went downstairs and slept down there and drank lots of different alcohol. Yeah, she had a bottle. very celebratory. She and Matt had saved a bottle of champagne from our time in Champagne. We were there five or six years ago altogether. And uh, she'd also bought some mead when we were in Chesky Krumlov. It was like memories of previous travels. Yeah. It was really nice. It was good. And if you do have a bottle of 1997 Palme d'Or champagne, drink it now because it's on the turn. <laughs> <laughs> it's just just at the edge of comfortable drinking at the moment. But That's I going to apply to so many of our I know. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so we had a week there. And then after that, we flew to Christchurch. We had to choose between a flight that arrived at 5 a.m. and a flight that arrived at 11.50. So we chose the one that allowed us to actually go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Craig's dad, Nori, and his wife, Anne, picked us up from the airport. And the next day, we went to the races because it was Canterbury Anniversary Day. And in New Zealand, we celebrate our public holidays with horse racing, apparently. <laughs> so we went and we, we put some money on different horses. On the first race, we won like $7. On the second race, we won $4. And on the third race, there was a horse called Sunny Cash, which had terrible odds. I think it was at, you know, if you if the horse came in first, you'd get $67 for every dollar you bet. So we, we put a dollar each way on that. So $1 to win and $1 to place. The reason we chose that is because we're mates with Cash from the Budget Traveller. And we thought, you know, when we lose, we'll make him buy us a beer. But the horse won. So... The, the odds had actually improved for us. Uh, and we ended up... <laughs> they had gone out to about 112 to 1. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> to win by the start of the race. So we got $135 or something. So we're up about $100 at the end of the day. Yeah. And now we owe cash a beer. <laughs> <laughs> tragic, tragic. Um, uh, what else? Wow, we had a bit of a, a family and friends barbecue and uh, seen a few friends, drove into the middle of Christchurch. You'll remember that Christchurch has been heavily affected by large earthquakes over the last four years or so. Mm-hmm. And um, Last time so. we were here, the central city was really blocked off. There's a red zone, which is where most of the buildings were damaged or really had to be demolished. They've opened that up now. There's quite a lot of buildings still behind fences. And the fences are really nicely decorated. I thought that was quite a a nice thing to see. But uh, at least you can walk through the centre now and you can see the cathedral, which was very badly damaged. Um, And we also stopped in at the Cashel Street pop-up mall called Restart. And I really love this. It's all containers that have been turned into shops and cafes. And I I just really like it. I hope they keep it. They're talking about taking it down when the city centre completely reopens. But I think it's nice. I think it, it should stay... Yeah, it'll be a good kind of low-rent opportunity for local designers and, you know, kind of small ideas shops mm-hmm. to be able to to be able to operate out of. I, I think they should keep it, but, um, yeah. yeah, I don't think the town council's too enamored with the idea. No, but it's a nice symbol of kind of, I don't know, strength against adversity. And, you know, it says something about, about what happened and uh, the community's response to it. But, yeah. 
Well, I'm sure we'll be talking about New Zealand a lot more over the next little while. So we're going to move on into our feature now. And to begin, we're going to be playing you some music from the people that we're going to be interviewing. Here's a little clip from Annie Chambers and Colin Callanan. Right, well, I'm here with Annie Chambers and Colin Callanan. We met in a hostel in the middle of nowhere in Zadar in Croatia, and they told me that they travel the world busking to finance their travels. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you're doing? Hi, I'm Annie, uh, and I play the harp. I've been playing since I was quite young, and the last few years uh, I make a living just, just playing the harp, mostly busking and doing some weddings. Great. And you, Colin? Uh, I'm Colin. Um, I live in Ireland and I, I, um, I, I have a day job, but I play music in my spare time. So I do some busking here and there and a little bit of travelling with music. And I play piano in a band in Galway called Mikey and the Scallywags. Oh, great. And uh, so it's nice to get out and about and experience the music of other cultures and do a bit of travelling as well, you know. Great. So how did it come about that you decided to finance your travels by, by playing music? Uh, I actually did a little bit busking when I was very young. My my teacher encouraged me to to go out and do some. My mum was so ashamed at the time. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, when I then I I always wanted to travel, and I first went away. Uh, I got a few small jobs as an au pair, and then I was walking working in a bar in in, in France, and I took my half out there, and I started busking and learning new music, and I realised I was making enough money to, to survive from doing that. So, so then I carried on travelling and taking my harp with me. That's great. Do you find it quite different uh, busking when you're away to busking in Ireland, or is it pretty similar? Um, there are a lot of differences. Uh, I think in general you get a good reception everywhere with the harp. It's an unusual instrument and it's nice and it's generally non-offensive. Um, I think busking is very very well accepted in Ireland. Uh, there's a lot of buskers everywhere and you would never get trouble from shopkeepers and different people, whereas in other countries you might get people complaining they don't want you busking near them. Okay. Um, and But no, generally I, I get a good reception everywhere. I... Okay. And with the harp, it must be really interesting. I mean, I, don't, I must have seen a harp once or twice, but you were saying earlier that lots of people have never seen a harp. What kind of reaction do you get to that? Yeah, I get a good reaction from that. A lot of people um, 
I'm very surprised to see the harp, uh, especially busking, and they ask about how you get it there and and so on. And also that I actually play a lot of unusual instrument for the harp, uh, unusual music for the harp. Uh, play a lot of film music or pop music that most people never play on the harp. Okay, great. And then we'll hear a bit of that later on, so that'll be great. Um, you mentioned just before that people ask how you get your harp there, and that's a really good question. I mean, if you're travelling with a harmonica, it's pretty easy, yeah. but with a harp it must be quite a challenge. It is, yeah. It's, it's quite heavy and it's annoying to carry around, so I just have to travel very light and in every other way. And, yeah, sometimes I, I buy cheap flight tickets for it and so on, or often I take very long bus and train journeys to, to avoid flying, but, yeah. Do you have to buy a seat for it, or can you just check it in as, as luggage? I can check it in, but it's been damaged before, so oh, yeah. when the flights are cheap enough, I try to buy, buy a, a ticket for it. Okay, great. And you play the mandolin. I suppose you don't have so many problems with carrying it around. No, it's easy. I play the guitar mostly, and that's a bit bigger, so um, if I'm travelling, I leave the guitar at home sometimes and travel with a smaller instrument, okay. and the, the, the mandolin is really easy to travel with, you know. I don't really like travelling with the guitar, because it, it's, like, it's, it's not as big as the harp, but it's actually not an awful lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit lighter, but uh, it's just big and awkward, and uh, yeah, you always have to find somewhere safe for it. You know, it's like having uh, traveling with a child sometimes when you have an, an instrument that you love. For sure. And what's the reaction to the mandolin? Because that's another quite interesting yeah. instrument. Yeah, the reaction is is good. In Ireland, I haven't bus- I haven't been playing it that long, really. Um, but I played it in Irish sessions, Irish music sessions. So in, in those sessions, uh, there isn't much of a reaction because it's uh, it's not that uh, it's not that awfully rare, I suppose, in a session. But on the street, it, it, not many people played on the street. So yeah, some people. Will be quite interested and will listen and come up and you know have a chat to you sometimes. Great, yeah. you know, <laughs> find out where, you know what, what, what music you play on it. Or yeah, it's a conversation yeah. starter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I asked you this earlier when we were chatting in the kitchen. In New Zealand, we need a license to busk, and it's free and it's pretty easy to get. You just have to go about it. What do you do about that? I mean, about the le- the legal side of things. Mm, it depends where I am. In Ireland, we don't need a license, and I've, the last few years I've been predominantly busking in, in Galway in Ireland. Um, but there are a lot of other places, in Slovenia I spent a lot of time, quite a few times, and they've never asked me for a license okay. there. I don't think I need one in, in Brittany, in the north of France, you don't need a license. And once or twice, like in the south of France, I had a license in a village, I just had to write a letter to the, the mayor and he gave me a license. Oh, okay, great. Um, yeah, there have been a few places where I've been moved on before. I was once even arrested. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Taken to the police station, but nothing really happened. Nobody spoke English, and eventually they uh, they were going to give me a fine, but they realised I'd missed my train, so eventually they let me go. So. Oh, that must have been a bit of an adventure. Were you okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fine. Do you look into the licences before you go, or do you just show up and... and Hope that someone's Sometimes I try googling it, but it's actually very difficult to find out yeah. information about it. I mean, you could phone phone the police station, I suppose. But usually, I just go and I start playing. And if there's a problem, usually they just tell you you're not allowed to play here, or you have to move on, or mm-hmm. you can play here after a certain hour or something like that. Okay. You find out when you get there. And yeah, that's good. I suppose it's the easiest way to go about it. Um. And I was going to ask you also about what happens if you don't earn enough. You are telling me a story earlier about going somewhere with just £30 in your pocket and, and it was rainy and you couldn't play. So what, what happens in that situation? Um, well, I don't know. I find it always just works out. You find someone to take you in or something. But usually I would uh, travel with a bit more security. That was 
kind of for the fun of the adventure, I suppose. Mm -hmm. We didn't take any money or credit card, but but usually I would have some some backup plan or something. But but yeah. Yeah. Okay. But do you find that it does pay well? Is it is it able to finance your travels? Yeah, in certain places it's really good. It's very hit and miss, and then of course. Being in Ireland, uh, the weather's very bad most of the time. So, uh, yeah, you make good money when you when you are playing, but then you can often go two weeks without making any. So, so yeah, in the end, it averages out like a normal job, maybe a normal small job, but you don't work as many hours, and I think it's more fun. Okay. And uh, what advice would you, both of you, uh, give to someone else who wants to travel around and busk to, to finance their travels? I think you have to have something a bit different. I think a lot of people, there are a lot of buskers that go with a guitar and and singing, and I think they really struggle to get by. And uh, I think it really helps if you have something different and something people people like some things that they recognise as well. It's nice to play your own stuff, but I think really, if you want to make money from it. It's nice to have something people recognise, maybe played in a different kind of way. And definitely the harp is an unusual instrument, so I know, I know that really that really helps, that really works for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's almost like a YouTube video. There are thousands of YouTube videos, but how many of those videos actually generate revenue for people? That's true. So if you can find something that really captures people's imagination, if it's really interesting, and if it's something a little bit different, but you put your own stamp on it, and it's... You know, it's enough to keep people's attention. Then what will happen is when you're busking, you'll have maybe a crowd of people watching and people will stop, and then more people will stop. A few people stop, then you'll have more and more and more stop. And then when that happens, you know that you're going to be okay. You know, But there are lots of buskers, of course, who really struggle to get people's attention. So it's not, it's not, there is no easy, quick solution to it. You know, it's, it, it, you, your best thing to do is to practice in your own country mm-hmm. or where you live and see, okay, can I go out and actually, you know, um, make enough to survive for a day doing but this. I think you just need a lot of personality as well because some people are doing things mm. like in Galway the, the guy dressed up as the devil and I think he, he makes good money but he's not doing anything he's, he's doing just anything. jumping around and getting his photo taken and, <laughs> and you know he's, <laughs> he's not got any t- real talent he's just got personality and charisma and I think it's true as well when I go out and I'm just not in the mood for it and I just need some money it just doesn't work you know mm-hmm. you have to kind of put your heart into it and enjoy it and, and people see that and yeah. yeah you're selling yourself aren't you yeah oh in a nice way yeah, like <laughs> performing you know it's not on stage but it's still a performance and you, yeah sure and do you have any tips about good places to go I mean where you've had some good experiences you've had some places that haven't worked for you well Ireland apart from the weather is is a really great place for, for busking and well Edinburgh was yeah, in Scotland as well was, was very good but again the weather was a problem mm-hmm. Um, I mean, previously, years ago, I found Croatia was very good in the summertime, and Slovenia as well. They were probably the best places. Okay, great. Yeah, I haven't travelled enough to Boscan to know anything about other countries, just Ireland. <laughs> but the people are fairly generous in Ireland. I don't know what people in Europe would be like for busking, other than I, I've seen Roma gypsies busking in different countries, but I haven't seen uh, that many buskers, I suppose, in, you know, in, in the central areas as much. Okay, so we're going to play a traditional Irish piece. It's um, called the Passing Glass, and then go into a traditional Breton piece from from the north of France, from Brittany, uh, which is I think it's called Antedro.
indie travel tip of the week this week is sporks. That's right. We love sporks. And I think that if you can choose one implement <laughs> to take with you, then a spork is a really good idea from Light My Fire. We've had them with us, I think, ever since we started traveling, and it's one thing that has lasted the distance. Mm. We'll be talking about gear in the next couple of weeks, but this is one thing that I think deserves a special mention, partly because on Facebook recently, I don't know who it was, but a friend of a friend uh, got married, and uh, they had sporks as their wedding gift, you know, when, when people were at the reception, and uh, you went to your place and you had a little gift. And I thought that was a brilliant idea. Because it's practical and beautiful. They had, a, I think, a pink one and a blue one tied together with a ribbon to symbolise the union of two people, whatever. And I just thought it was really nice. <laughs> They're sporking, are they? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So for those wondering what on earth Linda's talking about, a spork has... it's a The ones that we use are a plastic implement and they have a spoon on one side and then where the handle is, that turns into a fork on the other side. And the Light My Fire ones also have a little serrated edge at the end there. So you can do some very, very basic cutting with it. Like you can ha- hack through a piece of bread. Yeah. Soft cheese, softer like cheeses you can get through. Um, but I wouldn't try using it to cut down firewood. This is no Swiss Army <laughs> knife. Um, no, but what's perfect about it is that you can carry it on board. So we have had our sporks and our carry-on luggage for eight years, or maybe only for four years. And uh, we've never had any questions about them. So even though they have Mm. a knife section, they do tend to break after a while, especially if you have them in a quite heavily packed carry-on bag. So we've gone through three or four on our on our travels. But yeah, they're pretty resilient, aren't they? Yeah, they cost two to four euros to replace anyway, so it's not too expensive. And in terms of usefulness, they're right up there. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And of course, if you're doing your Christmas shopping already on Amazon.com, please do help us out by booking through our link. We'll make sure that is up nice and high, maybe in the header over the next month. And uh, that really does make a difference to our bottom line and help us keep the podcast going. Yeah, we really like it when you buy through us. Well, that's us for this week. Until next week, travel well.